to the back of the New Testament, the book of Peter, 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3, that theme, our theme for the New Year's, last Sunday night, we told you that word invest means to clothe. We can take our money, our talent, our time, and our treasures, and we can clothe them in things that are temporal or things that are eternal. Our goal for this year is to clothe them in things that are eternal. Second Peter chapter 3, as soon as you find your place, please join us by standing. Second Peter chapter 3. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 4. And please join me in verse number 5 and every other verse till we close, to close at verse 10. Second Peter 3, verse 4 says, And saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they are willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Read verse number 10 together, please. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. I want to, we've been preaching and studying on Sunday morning through the Beatitudes. I want to talk about our theme this year, and that the first part of our year we're going to invest in souls. I want to speak to you this morning on this theme, lest any perish, lest any perish. Father, help us this morning. I thank you for returning guests this morning. Father, I thank you for first-time visitors as well. I want to thank you, Father, in just moments as we end this service, in just moments, it'll be obvious to the church people what you've done on this corner this last week. I want to thank you for those who've trusted Christ as Savior. I want to thank you for those who... Uh, have yielded to scriptural baptism. I want to thank you, Father, for working in our midst. Father, we hunger for thee. We desire that no aspect or phase of ministry is without your hand and blessings upon it. So speak to us this morning. I pray that you'd speak to my heart, speak to all of our heart. I pray, Father, for that one that may be here this morning that does not know Christ as Savior. Would you draw them through your spirit? For the rest of us who've made that decision and trusted Christ as Savior, would you help us to understand that we should be busy about the Master's business and reaching lost souls? We'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hand in hand at the altar, in 
years of celebration we'd never seen them smile like this before she spent her life a praying on bended knees a saying and this morning he surrendered to the lord there's a message in their story and only god can get the glory when a child of his keeps knocking at the door it pays to pray it pays to call upon his name it pays to pray to see a miracle displayed you forget the word impossible when you see the savior's face you know he will make a way it pays to pray. You are tempted to quit praying. You feel he's never listening. The time has come and you must make a choice. Do you stop believing? Forget what you've been seeking. Or do you resolve that Jesus hears your voice? He will hush the angel voices just to hear what you are saying. And at any moment now you will rejoice. It pays to pray. It pays to call upon his name. It pays to pray miracle displayed you'll forget the word impossible when you seek the Savior's face you know he will make a way it pays to pray prayer is just as big as God is prayer is just as strong as God is strong, prayer can reach as far as God can reach. Don't ever give up, just pray. It pays to pray, it pays to call upon His name, it pays to pray to see a miracle displayed. You'll forget the word impossible when you seek the Savior's face. You know he will make a way. It pays to pray. It pays to pray. Straight up as I can because we have... Uh, the wonderful privilege of having two men that are going to be baptized today at the sepulcher of Sir Christopher Wren, who built St. Paul's Cathedral in London. Over the top of that uh, sarcophagus is Latin that says this, Reader, if you seek a moment, look around you. What was Christopher Wren saying? All around us are evidences of God. And his love to us. I would say to you this morning. If you will look. 
All around you, there are monuments to God and His faithfulness to us. If you look, all around us are miracles that God has shown us as He tries to reveal Himself to us. In this passage in 2 Peter chapter 3, go back with me if you would for a while. Go back and look at verse number 3. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. My pastor preached Jesus is coming again. And yet Jesus has not come. And his pastor preached to him, Jesus is coming again. And yet Jesus has not come. And his pastor, and you go all the way down through, we're reading here in 2 Peter. We do not see the heavens rolled back as a scroll. We do not see the Shekinah glory of God in the sky. Much less do we see the personal appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Where is the promise of His coming? God, it is a prayer, God's prayer and pleading for us. In verse number 9, I want you to look at this. I want to talk to you a little bit this morning. And the title of the message this morning as we focus on investing in souls is this, lest any perish. In verse number 9, look at what the Bible says. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise. He is coming again, isn't He? As some men count slackness. But why has He not come? But as long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It is God's prayer and pleading for us without loss of one, lest any perish, that all might be saved. And can I say this to you this morning? If you want to be saved, you can be saved. And if you want to be saved, you should be saved. But I give you this thought. If today you desire to know Christ as Savior, you may not feel that same way tomorrow. Genesis 6.3, God speaking to Noah said, my spirit shall not always strive with man. The only day I can promise you that you can be saved if you're not presently saved is today. There's no doubt, I don't think that there's any doubt at all, but that all Christians who lived in the first generation expected confidently that Jesus was going to come. Do you think that Paul thought Jesus was going to come? You think Peter thought that? You think the disciples thought that? So we're here some 2,000 years removed, and Jesus has, has not yet come. But the Bible tells us here that he's not slack concerning his promise, and he tells us that we are to expect the return of the Lord. Do you know of any biblical prophecy that's yet to be fulfilled before Jesus is to come again? I don't. Could Jesus come today? And can I say this to you, and I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to scare you, but the truth of the matter is, if you have not yet trusted Christ and hear the message of salvation, after he comes again, you may not be able to get saved. Think about this, Acts chapter 1, verse number 9. I want you to turn with me. We'll go back to uh, Peter in just Second Peter in just a moment. But Acts chapter 1, let's go to the time and look once again 
at the time when Jesus Christ ascended to heaven. In Acts chapter 1, in verse number 9, when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. While they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye a-gazing up into the heavens? This same Jesus, which is taking up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Is Jesus coming again? Yes. yes, he is. He made us a promise, and he said, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. We call this the eminency of Christ's return. In the book of Romans, chapter 13, the apostle Paul wrote there, the night is far spent, the day is at hand, the day of Christ Jesus coming. Revelation talks about Jesus coming in Revelation chapter 22. That's the way we're to live in the expectancy of Christ coming again. But the scoffers around us have a right to ask. Preacher, I've heard preachers before saying Jesus is coming. And he's not yet come. They have a right to ask the question why the Lord delays his return. By the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I believe Simon Peter answers this in two ways. I believe that there are two reasons that Christ delays his return. The first is found there back in 2 Peter. What does it say there? I want you to look as we read there. In verse number 8, it says, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and two thousand and, and a thousand years is one day. So the Lord was raptured two days ago. You with me? Maybe he's coming the third day. All right? The day, a day with the Lord is like a thousand years to us. And so don't get carried away with the idea how many years it's been since Christ ascended. God is going to come by God's clock. And God's clock every thousand years is one day. But here's the crux of the message lest any perish. Go back to verse number 9, and I believe this is the second reason why Christ has not returned. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise. He's going to return, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that what? All should come to repentance. Do you work with anybody that doesn't know Christ as Savior? Do you have a brother, a sister, a mom, a dad, a husband, or a wife that doesn't know Christ as Savior? Then you can praise the Lord that he has yet to return. Because he's not slack concerning his promise. Think about this. The second answer the apostle by divine inspiration gives for the delay of Christ's coming is this. He has not forgotten. He will come back. But before the Lord comes and visits the earth in judgment, and when he comes back, he's not coming as a lamb, as John the Baptist. He's coming as a lion. He's coming in judgment. But God does not want to come in judgment until all that can and should be saved are saved and will be saved. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the hearts of man 
is fully set to do evil, Ecclesiastes tells us. If God struck a man immediately when he did wrong, this would be an altogether different world, but he doesn't do that. He gives time. He, gives, he allows man to repent, and he's long-suffering, and he wants us to come to him. So true it is, preacher, why hasn't Jesus come? Number one, because a day is as a thousand years. But number two, there's still people that need to get saved. We gain, therefore, an insight into the heart of God, what he is like. Can I say this to you this morning? God does not rejoice in the condemnation and the cries of agonies of those who are lost. Do you think when God hears the, the cries of hell that he rejoices? Not at all. God doesn't rejoice to send somebody, allow somebody to go to hell. God doesn't rejoice in pronouncing judgment upon the lost. Follow with me. Two times in the Bible, you'll find the Ten Commandments were given. One is in the 20th chapter of the book of Exodus when God gave them to Moses the first time. Then the second time, you'll find them in Deuteronomy. The book Deuteronomy, if you break down the word deutero, it means second, and nomos means law, the second giving of the law. Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law. Do you remember when the fifth chapter, matter of fact, go there with me, Deuteronomy chapter number 5, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then Deuteronomy chapter number 5. We're learning a little bit about the nature of our God. He is not a God that loved to see somebody judged and pay for their sins. Look at chapter 5 and verse number 7. 5 verse number 7. He starts here the second giving of the Ten Commandments once again. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven or above, that is in the earth beneath or in the waters beneath. And he goes all down through all of the commandments. But when you get down to verse number 21, you look at these, neither shall thou desire thy neighbor's wife, neither shall thou covet thy neighbor's house or his field or his maidservant, his manservant, his ox or his ass, or anything that is is the Lord's. When you find out in the book of Deuteronomy, you'll find out this, God as he gives the, the, the ten, second, uh, ten Commandments for the second time, he says this to Moses and to his people that he wants us and he, he longs the pathos of God that he wants us to have it good in our life. He wants us to be able to keep his commandments and live. Ezekiel 33 says, As I live, saith the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but the wicked would turn from his evil way. And oh, turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, that, for why do you die? If you're in this auditorium this morning, and a pastor's not trying to scare you, but I would ask you this morning, if you're not presently saved, why are you not saved? This God of the Bible does not want to send you to hell. He does not want to judge you for your sin. But he's a thrice holy God that will not let sin become undone. Look in your, I'm reading verse number 29 of chapter 5 of Deuteronomy. Look at what it says. After he gave the, the Ten Commandments a second time. Oh, that there were such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always. That it might be well with them and with their children forever. That's our God. Our God would rather bless you than judge you. Our God would rather, would rather pour his love out upon you than to see you judge for your sin, lest any perish. 
Jeremiah pled with his people, repent, repent, get right with God. And after the bitter and cruel mercies, the Chaldeans came under Nebuchadnezzar in 605 B.C. and carried away Daniel and some of the royal family. And Jeremiah once again lifted his voice to God's people and said, repent, repent. But God's people wouldn't repent. So again, the second time under the Chaldeans, Nebuchadnezzar came the second time in 598 B.C. and carried him away again. And God's man stood up, the prophet, and said, repent, repent. And God's people didn't do it. And so in 580 B.C., the Chaldeans came for the third time. This time, there was not a homeland. They leveled the holy city. They carried everything captive, and they burnt it with fire. Can I say this to you? I believe as we look in Jeremiah, and I believe as we look in Genesis and Deuteronomy, as we've already seen, that the God that we serve has a heart of love for his creation. He wants to bless you. He doesn't want to judge you. Jeremiah said, the harvest is past, and the summer is ended, and we are not saved. Again, Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 9, Oh, that my head were waters, as mine eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep night and day for the slain, the daughter of thy people. Can I say this to you? We look as pastor and people, we look at our nation, we look at the, the direction of our, of our city. And I'm going to say this to you, it's already, you, it's getting pushed in our state house. It's getting pushed. We've got a total liberal run state now. House, Senate, and Governor. The sex education bill that's coming, they're going to cram down. We cannot teach in a public setting abstinence. It's coming. You say, preacher, how should that change the preaching? I know this. I know the man who's trained more preachers today than any other man would say this. Don't preach against sin because you won't get somebody to come to your church. I think the preacher's job is twofold, to warn against sin and then to put back the life of those who didn't heed the warning. And that's my heart. I believe that's the heart of God. He says to, through Jeremiah and through Moses, oh, that men would serve me and turn to me. He's filled with compassion, goodness, even to those that curse his name, even to those that disobey his commandments. God is tender and merciful. That's my God. That's the God of the Bible. I read this week in preparation of this message about a college professor. Do you remember when mankind sinned, when Adam sinned? Do you remember when God came to seek out Adam in the Garden of Eden? You remember Genesis tells us in Genesis 3, Adam! Adam! A college professor with a class full of young men they're going to train for ministry. That college professor said this to seminary. Professor, he said this, I'm going to give five of you men, I want you to preach that message, how God called Adam. The first young man got up and made God to be a policeman. All right, Adam, where are you? You think that's how God came? Think he came as a policeman? I'm going to put you in spiritual handcuffs. I'm going to draw, I'm going to carry you off to spiritual jail. That's not the God of the Bible. The second man, young man, preached God as a judge. I'm coming to judge you for your sin. There was one of those five young men that stood up to preach, and he preached, Adam, Adam, where are you, Adam? 
And that seminary professor looked at that young man and he said, God will use you because you have the heart of God. God's not a policeman trying to arrest you and put you in spiritual jail. God is not a judge that wants to judge you. God is a God of love that wants you to receive him so that he may not have to judge you lest I perish. I think about the God of the Bible. Would you like to know what our Savior is like? Would you like to know what our God is like? Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father in John 14. Jesus wants to save you. Jesus wants to bless you. God the Father wants to receive you. What was Jesus like? Just like Jeremiah the weeping prophet. Go with me in your mind in the Gospels. Jesus there praying hours before he goes to Calvary's cross on the Mount of Olivet, looked over to the city of Jerusalem. What did he say? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how oft I would have gathered thee as a mother hen gathered her chicks, but she would not. I asked you this this morning. If you're sitting and seated in this auditorium and you've not yet trusted Christ, why? He loves you. He puts a call to you today. And that heart of love and pathos rings out to you just like it did then. Jesus Christ was often in tears. He came there to Olivet and he looked over the holy city in Luke chapter 19 and he burst into tears. This is the heart of God. And every providence is the goodness of our God to lead us and bring us to repentance, 2 Peter 3 says read this story about something that happened during the gold rush in Nevada. A young lady surrendered to be a missionary. She married a man, but that young man that she married decided, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to seek gold and silver instead. So moved her to Nevada. During the silver rush of Nevada, here's this man and this woman there. And there was one of those prospectors in that silver mine in Nevada that was cruel and mean and godless. And this young man was a manager. And he'd tell his wife and he'd warn everybody, don't go around this prospector because he will curse you out. He'll throw you out. He's mean. He's vile. And this woman had a love for that man. Wanted to see him come to know Christ. And she told her husband, I want to go see him. And he said, sweetheart, you better not. He'll cuss you out and kick you out of there. She took a meal and she, she went down there. He was vile and loathsome and he was a filthy bad man. He cursed her. She asked him, did you have a mother who loved you? And he cursed his mother. She said, did you have a dear wife that loved you? And he cursed his wife. Later on, the next time she went, the lady took her little daughter with her. Did the same thing, cursed her again. After she'd gone back several times, her little daughter said to her one time, she said, Mama, are you going to stop going to see the man? And she said, yes, sweetheart, I am. Not making any headway. The little girl said this, Mama, do you think God gave up on that man? 
uh, mama began to cry, and she said, sweetheart, I guess he hasn't. said, mama, we can't give up on him if God didn't give up on him. The next time she went back, her daughter had a little friend. And that little friend said, can I go with you to visit the mean prospector? And so they took, and the mama said to them, you kids, you wait outside. I'm going to go visit with him. And the mama went inside and took another warm, prepared meal. And the man cursed her out again. And, and But watch this. But then she heard, that man heard singing outside. He said, what is that? Who is that? And the lady said, well, that's a little girl that came with my daughter. He said, can I see her? And that little girl came into that old, mean, cursing, loathsome, filthy man, a prospector. And he looked at her and he said, sweetheart, what is your name? And she said, my name is Mimi. And the man began to cry. He said, I had a daughter named Mimi. And God took her. And now this lady realizes why this man is so ruthless and so vile. And this lady finally gets to witness to him. She said this. She said, do you understand if God let that little girl live with you what she would look like? She'd be filthy mouthed. She would curse the God of heaven. Do you understand how God was gracious in taking that little girl? That man said this. He said, I think you're right. That man knelt in an old, an old uh, uh, rugged building there in Nevada, and he trusted Christ as Savior. And then he invited in all of his other buddy prospectors, and he said, listen, I want you to kneel down, and I want you to listen to this lady. She's going to tell you the greatest news you can ever hear. And that lady told all of those rugged prospectors about how they too could know Christ as Savior, and many of them trusted Christ as Savior. Preacher, what are you saying? Lest any should perish, lest any should perish. What is the Lord telling us this? If God tarries his coming this year, Rocky Mountain Baptist Church, whether you take a, take a, 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 a Love Works t-shirt and you put it on and you serve a donut to a policeman, or you take a Love Works and you go visit to one of the hospitals and be a blessing to the doctors and nurses and the staff. Or you go down to the courthouse and you just try to be a blessing. The purpose of that is God doesn't want anybody walking into and out of that courthouse to perish. God doesn't want anybody that works at Parkview Medical Center to perish. God doesn't want anybody who works at our police force and our, our, our state patrolmen to perish. And so you and I are just like that woman. We take the love of Christ to a lost and dying community. I ask you this as we close this morning. Tell me in your deepest soul, a thousand times, hadn't you rather be saved than lost? Some of you here aren't saved yet. I ask you this this morning. Would you not rather be saved than lost? Would you not rather be blessed by God than cursed by God? Would you not rather turn to Jesus for forgiveness of sin and life everlasting than to be cast into outer darkness? Preacher, I don't believe in hell. It doesn't change the temperature one bit. 
There is a literal place that men and women, boys and girls, who don't know Christ as Savior, go for all of eternity. And it's a place called hell. Would you not rather go to the blessedness of heaven than the darkness of hell? Church, there's some good news. And you've got it. What is the good news? It's called the gospel. What's the gospel? The death, burial, and resurrection of Allah. Muhammad. Nope. Jesus. That's right. Amen. He came. He lived a sinless life. He died a vicarious death. He died on Calvary's cross for your sins and mine. And they buried him in a borrowed tomb. And what does it say? Three days and three nights. As Jonah was in the heart of the whale, so the son of man shall be in the heart of the earth. Three days and three nights. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph o'er his foes. We are the only faith on earth that serves a risen Savior. Muhammad can't and did not rise again. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Tell it as you put a t-shirt on and go to the courthouse. Tell it as you put a t-shirt on and surf water down at the down at the at the at the river walk. Tell it as you would sometime. You won't be able to go to all of them. But somehow, this is our call this year. This is what God wants us to do. Invest in the lives of others. Some here today need to come and trust Christ. Some here today. Need to say, Lord, I'm going to be a stop sign on the road to hell. Just be a stop sign on the road to hell. All around us, people are dying without Christ, and they'll go to crisis eternity. You can be a stop sign. You can invest your life, lest any perish.